Hi, everyone. It's me, Sandy Cruz of Sandy K Nutrition, health and lifestyle queen. For years now, I've been bringing to you conversations about wellness from experts from all over the world, whether it be suggestions in how you can age better, biohacking, alternative wellness. These are conversations to help you live your best life. I want to live a long, healthy, and vibrant life. Never mind all those stigmas that as we reach midlife and beyond, we're just going to shrivel up and die with some horrible disease. Always remember, balanced living works. I really look forward to this season. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sandy K Nutrition, Health and Lifestyle Queen. Today with me, I have Kristen and Maria of Wise and Well, and we're talking all about breast implant disease. I'm going to preface this episode by saying we are not judging you or shaming you if you have breast implants. That is not the intent of this recording. The purpose of this recording is merely just to provide you with the educational tools so that you can decide what's best for you and your own best health. And of course, this entire conversation, if you want to have it, will be between you and your physician. Couple of announcements. I actually had a post go viral on TikTok. And I'm talking viral. I I mean, I can't even keep up with the comments, the questions, and it all surrounded the fact that I am using a little bit of estriol on my face. And I'm doing this because of wrinkling and the drop in estrogen. So I've done quite a bit of studying on this, looking for the research, and I actually found a lot of pretty compelling research out there that it's a great option. Estriol is a very weak estrogen. It's the weakest of the three main estrogens. And it has been shown that when you use it topically on the face, you don't get serum level increase of estrogens. However, I am going to say, speak to your own practitioner on if it's right for you, because I'm sure there are contraindications. All I did on TikTok was talk about my experience, because I've been using this since I think it was last September, end of September was when I started, and I love it. Anyway, go follow me on TikTok at Sandy K Nutrition. Follow me on Instagram also, Sandy K Nutrition. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm kind of everywhere. And go follow me and definitely share this episode with someone who you feel might benefit. And if you have a spare moment, please take a minute to rate and review this episode just with a few kind words. It would really, really be so appreciated by me. And now let's cut on through to the interview with Kristen and Maria of Wise and Well. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sandy K Nutrition, Health and Lifestyle Queen. 
Today I have two very special guests. Their names are Maria Claps and Kristen Johnson, and they are the creators and practitioners of Wise and Well. Kristen is a functional nutritionist with advanced training in holistic nutrition, as well as a specialty in perimenopause and menopause health. Maria is a functional health coach with a specialty in perimenopause and menopause. Together, they're known for being relentless when it comes to the science of health and hormones. They use carefully chosen lab work, nutrition that is specific to midlife women. Now that's key, people. Mindset coaching and hormone replacement therapy education to help women reclaim their health and make their lives magnificent. I mean, I love that word so much. Magnificent, not subpar as we age, right? And today we're actually going to talk about breast implant illness. Now, I'm going to first preface this by saying this is not medical advice. We are actually having a discussion here for educational purposes only. Our purpose is to educate. And that's why I actually feel very like-minded with these ladies. They have the smarts, they have the knowledge, and they have the experience. So with that, welcome, ladies. Thank you so much. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you because... This is not a topic that's discussed very often. And, you know, you're going to probably laugh at me, but I remember the first time I ever heard of this breast implant illness is from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. You know, what's her name? Yolanda. I can't remember. David Foster's wife. Ex-wife. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the first time. I heard of it, this, and that was quite a few years ago, but I think it's an important discussion. So I think it's really good to start off by how you got into this field and really what took you on this whole interest of midlife and perimenopause and menopause. Maybe we'll start with you, Maria. Sure. So I was kind of early, mid 40s when I started to, well, probably early 40s when I started, 42, 43, when I started to recognize just palpable, undeniable changes in my body, in my mood and outlook. And so I had always been somewhat um, holistically minded, open-minded, and I knew that I didn't want to just go to the doctor in town that everyone went to. Um, He was a really nice guy, uh, very affable. Everyone loved him, Um, but he was truly just a prescription pad writer. And I I knew that I would come away with, you know, just an unsatisfactory experience. So I sought out a doctor in New York City, was multi-published, had a YouTube channel. um, And it was it was a better experience, most likely, but it ended up being very supplement heavy, like very test heavy, very like he opened my eyes, but I didn't educate me. And so I stuck with the treatment plan and there were aspects of it that helped but it didn't really help long-term. So I feel like when women lack education, they just don't, you know, they're just not likely to stay with that which helps. So there were aspects to the plan that were great and there were aspects that were not so great. And so so one of the not so great aspects was, um, you know, and another thing I had was pretty raging insomnia. And it was like, well, 
we're going to prescribe you this clonopin on the really bad nights you can take that. Well, it was a really small dose, so that was okay, but that small dose became kind of frequent and I got fairly addicted to it and I had to, you know, wean myself off that and just find a, a better way. And it was at that point where I said, okay, I, I need, I need to know more. There mm. has to be more than this. This is better than the, you know, local town doctor, but this is still so lacking in so many ways. And and that, that was the beginning of my journey. Nice. So then you yeah. went back to school and did all the school things. And even more importantly, um, mentorship from those who have been in the field for sometimes decades. Yes. Yes. I agree with that. We learn more often. Like I feel like I've learned so much more since I finished college. So, you know, what about you, Kristen? Yeah. So I, um, my background actually was as a corporate attorney and, um, we had moved from the Midwest out to Boston. I stopped practicing law because I didn't take my bar with me and just kind of dove into all things relating to my family and being a mom and raising kids and whatnot. And again, like Maria, I hit my mid forties, early forties, I should say. Um, and I just felt like the wheels came off. So it was, I wasn't sleeping. I had no libido. My skin was changing. Um, I felt like I was constantly on that body composition fight. Um, and I was a really highly competitive athlete. I was into rowing, um, and probably overtraining, um, Mm -hmm. and under eating and doing all the things that we do in order to kind of maintain this physique that we think, uh, we should have. But it started to manifest with the sleeplessness, with all the mood changes, cognition. I used to joke that I needed lists to lists so that I knew what I was even doing past 10 a.m. in the morning. And, um, you know, Boston is sort of the hotbed of conventional medicine and research and big pharma. And I had this great doctor at Mass General. And I went to her and I said, something's wrong with me. And I think I was 42, 43. And she said, nothing's wrong with you. And I said, well, can we just check, you know, can we take some blood labs? And she actually refused to test me. She said, there's no reason to, you're too young. And my mom had had a complete hysterectomy at 32. So I had no benchmark for when midlife changes might be coming. And, um, you know, I, then I was researching and then I'm like, could it be Lyme? Could it be mold? You know, could it be mono? Like what is, there is something wrong with me and I need to know what it is. And she just gaslit me. And finally looked at me and said, I don't know what you think you're looking for, but you've been here like six times in the last few months and there's nothing wrong with you. Mm. And so I went away thinking, you know, I was broken. You know, my body was failing me. Like, was it cancer? My mom had breast cancer in her forties. And so I was just super worried. And then kind of a confluence of events. There was a health emergency with my son and then my dad got sick. And so I started in the quest to help them diving into health and saw this correlation with nutrition and sort of metabolic existence and, you know, started kind of tinkering on all of us with great outcomes. And my husband looked at me and said, you need to do something. You know so much about this now. You're changing our lives. And I said, but I need credentials. And that was coming from my attorney mindset, right? I'm like, just because I read a few books and studies and whatnot. He's like, yes, but you need to do this. So I, like Maria, I went back to school. And, you know, when I first started working, it was fairly general nutrition approach and just helping people with metabolic health. But, you know, you attract who you are. And so I started working, obviously, with a lot of midlife women and their complaints were similar to mine. And then it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, what is the kind of... um, common factor here. And it came down to hormones. And so then I kind of, like Maria, started diving into, I want more training in this. And 
That's actually how I found Maria. She was doing a class for practitioners on some test reading. And then together we just started working and then mentoring and working with clinicians and attending medical conferences. And, you know, we, I think because we had both experiences, one being over-treated and undercared for and mine being completely gaslit, we were pretty ticked off, to be perfectly frank, about how women's health um, is not served after midlife. And yes. so that's why we finally said, okay, enough's enough. We're going to do this. And, you know, we're pretty salty to be perfectly blunt. <laughs> um, salty know, is good. I like salty. Yeah. yeah. Because we want women to wake up. Yes. You know? I mean, it's just, it's a time of life where it's easy to dismiss this as I'm just tired because I'm taking care of so many people or, you know, I'm just going to be like my mom or whatever. And Maria and I are like, that's BS. You know, there is a better kind of outcome and this can actually be the best chapter, um, but we have to push back. So, yeah, I mean, all three of us have very similar stories, right? Like sometimes your your experience is what pushes that passion, right? So, you know, you touched on something that I think is a great segue to talk about breast implant illness. And you mentioned this quest for almost perfection. And I understand it really, really well. Because when they took out my thyroid, I was like, whose body is this? Who the hell is this person? I need to figure this out. I went on every single diet under the sun. And, you know, listen, let's face facts. Like us women, we tend to be under a lot of pressure. And... I, I don't know about you, and, and I'm going to say this too. Whatever we discuss here, please do not think of it as a judgment. We are not judging. We are educating. So, breast, listen, breast implants, aesthetically, well, I do a lot of aesthetic things. I do baby Botox. I do lasers on my face, right? So, you know, I'd love to hear your opinions on this whole quest for perfection. Well, I, I would say, you know, we did not, as three women in their 50s, did not grow up in the era of social media, but we're maturing in the era of social media. And so there is a lot of this perfect image that's being promoted that is being thrown at women. And at the same time, we've got, thankfully, a renewed health or new, renewed interest in health, right? People supplements, diet, nutrition, lifestyle, movement, sleep, etc. Like all of a sudden these are seen and accepted as valid tools to most people who are starting to not rely on big pharma. But they're all being harnessed and mobilized to the goal of anti-aging. Yes. And that I think is where we're having this problem mm-hmm. is that men are being told it's not okay to look 50. It's not okay to even be 60. You better present yourself publicly, image, social media, whatever, to say, you know, I am not that. And and that leads women to this quest, right, of rejecting the parts of their body that change or that don't fit that image and doing whatever they need to do in their eyes to create a better appearance. I listen, I fall into that myself. I fully I admit it. We'll do to a certain degree. I think where Kristen and I look, I mean, we, at least I can speak for Kristen and I, Sandy, you might be naturally beautifully blonde, but we both color our hair. I just got my eyebrows done. Um, you know, I will 
every year or every other year, do like a laser treatment on my yeah. face. Um, so I get it. And, you know, women want to look good. When we look good, we feel good. And we're not against that by any means. But there seems to be this excessive societal deluge coming primarily through social media, but through, you know, kind of Hollywood and Madison Avenue. Well, about- like the Beverly Hills show, Real yeah, Housewives. Yeah, right? watching you Real Housewives. Got, hey! Kudos for rating you know, raising awareness about breast implants, but um, uh, it's just this, this incredible deluge to look a certain way. And so what Chris and I see as the problem with that is that that's the focus. The focus is on how we look. The focus is not on what's your blood sugar. Um, the focus is on how we look, not the focus is, the focus is not on, well, this weight around my belly really is making me metabolically unhealthy. Mm-hmm. No, it's, but I, but I don't, I, I want to look good for vacation or I want to look good for my 30 year reunion, which again, this is not bad. It's, it stops short of the, of the really important picture. And I say really important, like someone might push back and say, well, those are your values. Okay. I hear you. They might be my values. Maybe they're not yours, but we would ask you to think forward, think ahead is how you look at 50 going to be super important at 80 or is being able to carry your own groceries and being able Beautiful. to have a uh, very clear headed conversation with those you love, or perhaps even still traveling. I mean, right. I hope that all. <laughs> okay. I so. loved what you said there, but yeah. So for me, Okay, yes, I'm a nutritionist. Yes, I'm a biohacker. Yes, I'm almost 53. But for me, if my personal health has been taken away from me, right, at one time. So I know what it's like to hit rock bottom. So my gauge for all of these things, these aesthetics, is does it affect my health? Right. Is it more... Exactly. Exactly. So for me, that's my barometer, so to speak. Your measuring stick. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I know that if I do things like we were talking about, like laser, it's not going to affect my health. What it's going to do, it's going to help, you know, with the collagen. It's going to help take away sun damage that, you know, slathering baby oil in in the 80s is, (laughs) you know, like... (laughs) (laughs) that damage well I can't undo it so that's what that's gonna do little tiny bit of Botox I do very little but I do it because I don't like that anger line and now my kids can't see when I'm pissed off right So, so that's why I do it there because I don't like it so I don't see anything wrong with those little things maybe we can talk a little bit about getting into breast implants and where there can be a problem. Now, I don't know a whole ton of it about it. I know that you ladies are way more knowledgeable in this respect. Mine are natural and unfortunately too big for my size. But what am I going to do? So, you know. Did I identify I would have never gotten breast implants? (laughs) (laughs) So maybe we can start getting into that if that's all right with you. I, well, I would love to. And yeah. I just want to kind of dial back a little bit. Um, so you said you started out by saying we're talking about breast implant illness, all well and good. I love to direct the conversation away from that terminology. Okay. 
I want to be a little bit more global in how we look at breast implants. And that's because I believe that there's a lot of problems and harm and there's a scale, there's a sliding scale, right? And I think what we have is a lot of women who are struggling and suffering, but maybe don't have like those very often discussed symptoms of breast implant illness. And I could say I'm, I'm in that, you know, I, I put myself in that group. I didn't have mold issues and, you know, massive brain fog. I probably had a little bit, um, and rashes and hair loss. Um, and fatigue. I did not have those. I had, um, I started, you know, I had them in for about 20 years. So I would say the last year or two, I had some kind of diffuse breast pain, but it wasn't like I probably could have lived with that. It was intermittent. Um, you know, I feel like that my overall efforts that I was doing towards my health were being somewhat thwarted. So I, I felt like my the hormone replacement therapy I was doing, like it was good, but you know, could it be better? And I do feel again, I don't, I don't have a study. So if anyone comes out and asks me, asks for a study or proof, like this is my experience. So I don't have a study, but so more than many others though, Maria, we do hear from so many women, right? Where those health interventions that they're seeking almost have like a self-limiting totally limiting feeling on them because of their breast. And I do want to say something else. Despite not having a study, you have education and you now can look back on it from a scientific perspective, right? From your education. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yes. And from my personal experience, and I think people have to realize that, you know, we don't get studies on things that are going to really produce no financial outcome. So we don't get studies on... Good point. (laughs) In fact, you know making women aware of issues around breast implants would actually have negative financial effect, most likely for the firms that make them. So right. Not everything needs to be proven. with yep. studies. So yeah, just to broaden the definition about like, you know, just sort of like the issues around breast implants, including breast implant illness, but not limited to that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what are we looking at here? What you, you mentioned a couple of things like, you know, you would, get rashes or you would, you know, I need to understand a little bit more. Well, what be, are they? One of the known, I think even the FDA website um, would list that, uh, would list rashes, fatigue and brain fog, but so and hair loss. And hair, I hair had loss. no idea about the hair loss because I'm always going to go, well, what's the root cause of that? I actually, I actually interviewed a and hair loss. It is. I interviewed a, a physician who is, top 20 in the world for hair loss and restoration. And I love what he says because there's always a root cause. Well, what is that cause? What is the breast implant doing that would cause that? That's what, right? So so my issue around breast implants is, and it's so funny, I get this. Well, let me, let me say what my issue is. My issue is you're putting a device in the body, okay? It's a non-self device. And when that gets inserted, it's a natural immune system reaction to like the, your immune system is like, what is this? Mm-hmm. What is this? Now, some women will have immediate untoward reactions. Okay. Right. It's sometimes their immune system might actually be able to resolve that. Okay. That, but it's hard to know because Sandy, we get this question all the time. Well, I have um, a rebuilt 
you know, joint? Is it the same issue? I'm like, yes, it is the same issue. But here's where I take issue with that. And again, these are just my thoughts. This is not judgment education. This is really food for thought is nobody needs breast implants. We could maybe make kind of like a dispensation or an exception for cancer survivors, but even they, they don't need them. They want them and they want to feel whole again. And I honor that. I understand that. That has never been my, I, I was not presented with that situation where I had to have a mastectomy. So I, I feel my, my heart goes out to women, especially women who are cancer survivors who ask me that question. But the fact of the matter is your immune system is not different. Your immune system is not going to give you a pass because, you know, you had cancer and now you have implants. Oh, in. yeah. But a... But a, if anything, your immune system might be a little more heightened. Yeah, exactly. You against yeah. foreign objects because right. cancer is really a, in, in part, at least, a malfunction of the immune system. So, so basically, it's like you get a, a device in the body, and it does put the immune system on high alert. And and how that manifests, it could be different for uh, everyone. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, so you talked about some of the really not, you know, not really specific. Like you can have hair loss even without breast implants. You exactly. can have, yeah. you can have rashes. I mean, I know that is relating to a histamine response often sure. in women because of hormonal sure. changes, right? So it could be that. So, you know, what are some of the more serious yeah. symptoms? Okay. So I okay, we'll get we'll get this one out of the way right away. Unfortunately, it's cancer. Now I will go on record as saying it is very rare. Okay, so like a small amount of women can develop cancer, but it is still something that is is very much known. It's um, so it used to be, I believe, anaplastic uh, large cell lymphoma a c l c or a i don't know so it's a lymphoma not a specific breast cancer anaplastic large cell lymphoma yes and um that is very rare um but it still does exist for sure okay so just recently i believe in early september so just like about two months ago um fda came out with another warning saying um, that there's other types, I believe like a squamous cell cancer and other types of lymphoma that can develop in the, uh, capsule. So what happens when breast implants get put inside the body, um, the body creates a capsule around the implant and that does somewhat help hold the implant in place. Um, I, I believe, and I, I think, you know, we can get most doctors to say that this is the case is that that's the immune system kind of walling off the implant to protect the body. Okay, so the FDA has now found, I don't want to put a number on it. It is a small amount, but a certain amount of cancers that are actually embedded in that that scar tissue, which is called a capsule. Yeah, so that is what it is. It's scar tissue that surrounds the implant. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if women, you know, Maria has this experience, upon explant, the doctor can show you the capsule that was formed around it. And it is shocking to be perfectly frank. Yeah. It's, it's graphic and it's shocking and it's, I mean, it's fascinating. I've always loved that stuff. 
Because it's the body doing what we want it to do. The body, it's the body doing, you know, it's, people don't realize the body does what it does to protect us. We get a fever, it's to kill off a a germ or a bacteria. Um, We get like, I believe. Swelling with an ankle injury. It's to bring blood to the area. You know? and, and I believe I was just listening recently, like the amyloid plaques in Alzheimer's is actually a protective response. So right. it's not precipitating. It's actually a response. It's not right. yeah, the cause. Yeah. And I, I do find it interesting that the cancers are actually blood cancers, like lymphatic cancers are actually blood cancers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's obviously a systemic reaction. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And these capsules, I mean, the pictures, you know, that we've seen, it's, they're vascularized. Right. They so, are blood know, flow need to realize and we've got, you know, microbiota in the gut, they travel throughout the body, you know, microbiota and other areas travel to the gut. Like we have this incredibly interconnected microbiome and it's using the lymph and blood system to move around so you've now vascularized your breast in a whole new way Mm. right more than it was Mm -hmm. so I've also seen and I'm not sure maybe you can tell me if this is just you know sometimes you see stuff and you go is this real you know uh, um, where they've removed some implants and they're completely calcified like hard as a rock all right so yes no so the implant can have flecks of calcium on it, like white flecks. So mine had a few white flecks. Okay. And my, my surgeon explained to me, and again, very conventional, but super supportive of, uh, of you know, just does a lot of explants. So that's a sign of inflammation right there, the, the, the little flecks of calcium. Now, I think what you might be referring to, um, I do believe implants harden, but... I think what you might be referring to is called capsular contracture. And that's where the capsule, again, that's that web of yeah. tissue, hardens. So that's, I suspect maybe that's what you're referring to. But maybe you meant the actual implants. I don't know. I will it's, tell you. I've just seen videos of where they yeah. remove it and they're like hard rocks. But yeah, I do believe that happens. I, I've also um, had great conversations with this one physician and I'll never forget what he told me. And he said in medical school, when he was working on cadavers, you could see so much calcification throughout the whole body. (laughs) Right. You know, and I, and that's why I'm always like, Hey, just taking some calcium ain't going to help you. Like you need to, right. You need to have the whole gamut to make sure it gets into the bone not just calcium. So calcium, magnesium, vitamin D. Um, you actually need hormones to signal that calcium to move properly. Otherwise, you could have it go subtle in your heart valve. I mean, right. Yeah. Right. So that's why, why we often recommend women to get a coronary artery calcium score. It's such an inexpensive, easy oh. test. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. oh. What is that? Yeah. Say that again. A coronary. I, I will let Kristen say more about it. A little side note, but it's a good yeah, it's a good side note. I like it. Yeah, our cap score, and it's like five to 15 minutes, depending on your technician. You go in, it's kind of you know, a quick CT scan, it's very fast. And essentially, what they're looking at is do you have plaques that have started to build up calcium plaques in the coronary artery of the heart? It's important because. It's the first process. I mean, it's not, I should say, it's a result of an immune process. 
cascade that has resulted in these plaques, you know, settling there in the heart. But it's much further downstream than a lot of people want to realize. There were a lot of things that precipitated this. Um, even the, the development of plaques at all, we can have soft plaques that are what we consider vulnerable plaques. They're like circulating. Um, the, the CAC scan is looking at what plaques have already stopped circulating and settled, okay? Um, but we have plaques throughout the body that could be moving around and they are a result of some sort of immune response. So there's been some sort of endothelial damage somewhere, usually in the vasculature, that sets off this cascade and the results are plaques. And this is why people vilify cholesterol because cholesterol is a large component in these plaques and people think, oh, cholesterol causes heart disease. But the reality is, is cholesterol is like the fireman coming to the fire. Yes. cause the fire, right? He's coming to the site of an injury, a wound. The, the cholesterol is in the body as a proper immune response. And then this kind of cap forms. It's almost like a scab and that becomes your plaque. And then they can be mobilized. Once they settle in the um, coronary artery, that's a problem because now we've kind of got this, you know, narrowing of the pipe, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to set off a whole bunch of problems. But this is why when women, particularly in their 40s and beyond, just start adding willy-nilly calcium supplements because they're interested in protecting their bones, the scary thing is, is that we need adequate estrogen and progesterone in order to tell the body what to do with this calcium. So women will take calcium or straight D3 without any K2. Mm -hmm. And again, all they're doing is essentially overloading the system with these components that have no signaling. They don't know where to go and what to do. And so where do they go? They go to usually the heart. So, you know, we'll tell women, like, if you come into midlife metabolically unhealthy, um, and or you've been supplementing for a long time with these things, we do recommend a CAC simply because the odds are that you've already had this immune cascade, you've already developed some sort of plaques, and they may have settled already in the heart. But that's a total sidebar there. That was a good <laughs> sidebar, though. I think that's a very important sidebar because we're talking about women's health and we're talking about something that many women have, and that's breast implants. So, yes. you know, even the calcification, that's something that is important to understand Yeah. Um, for yeah. even whether you have breast implants or not. So, and you calcium know. plaques can travel. I mean, we I have a very close friend who had calcium form in the heart. It broke off. It traveled, ended up in the brainstem, and caused a massive stroke. And, oh, you know. Wow. This is why calcium even on a breast tissue is important because it's not guaranteed that it's going to stay there. Yes. Yes. Right? So, so this is yes. where I'm going to stop and just say work with a functional nutritionist or a functional health practitioner if you're in midlife because they're the ones who can educate you on why you shouldn't just take calcium. Not your general physician. And I say this all the time. General physicians are not trained in nutraceuticals. How to take them, when to take them, what to take, what is synergistic. I think these are really important facts, right? Yeah. yeah. They're not huge. trained in nutrition either. So, so yes, Andy, I did have some a few uh, calcium flex on the implants. And interestingly, the implants were in beautiful, perfect condition. Um, except for the little calcium flex. Um, but I'm happy to report that two CAC scores, um, two years apart, 
or both zero. So oh, wow. You always say that's the one time in your life you want to score a zero. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to put that in the show notes. Just I, I wrote a note to make sure I include that just for anybody who wants to refer back. So we, we, we touched on some of the milder symptoms that could look like other symptoms. Yes, we touched sure. on the extreme uh, side effect of implants, and that's a type, yes. a couple of different types of cancer. What right. about other things? Like what about autoimmune diseases? Well, so again, when you put a device into the body and you have the potential to provoke the immune system, I think that there is... There is probably a link, but, you know, autoimmune diseases are, they're multifold, right? We've got gut health, we've got a genetic susceptibility, and then we have an environmental insult. So the immune system is, again, it's, it's provoked so that there's that environmental insult. So for some people, I know a woman who got um, uh, a viral meningitis, and then she was shortly diagnosed with... Um, some autoimmune disease after that. It was either celiac or Hashimoto's. Uh, so, so there's genetic, there's environment, and then there is gut. So the environment, I believe that breast implants fall under that. Is that an environmental thing that has triggered your autoimmune disease? Mm, yeah, I actually just uh, a while back, it's going to come out before ours comes out. I recorded uh, an entire episode on autoimmune diseases. And yeah, it's it's like you need that perfect storm. Yeah. Right? And breast implants can be that little addition a little, to... A little trigger. Yeah. A little trigger for sure. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate and review with a few kind words. This helps me to keep bringing fabulous guests to you each and every week. Thanks so much. Yeah, and then another symptom that's super interesting is if you search breast implants and depression on PubMed, you're going to come up with a lot of stuff. Now, it's not really well known, like, in other words, were the women depressed uh, and they got, then they got the breast implants in to make themselves feel better? Or did the breast implants kind of make them feel depressed because again, the inflammation, the brain health, things like that. It's not really well known, but I know for myself, I just felt palpably happier after they were out. And it wasn't just immediately following surgery, like, yeah, this is done. It was like months and and even years afterwards. And I would also just say like, I started to feel, again, I didn't have a ton of symptoms. I did have some pain. And I was like, ah, oh, 20 years. Uh, and I just, I learned so much. It became like, how can I keep these things inside of me? And, you know, here I am going into, you know, serious midlife. And like, well, am I going to have breast implants in when I'm 60, 70, 80? And it just felt so, um, I just, I, it just felt so wrong to me. I was like, it is, it's definitely time to get them out. But even more than that, even if let's say I had had them in for 10 years, I was like, I don't know. It's like, I filter my water. I buy breastfed meat. Um, I'm using the best of the best of hormone replacement therapy. It's like, why the heck do I have these, you know, toxic sacks in me? <laughs> and I can say from an objective standpoint, because Marie and I were working together as she was kind of 
coming to this decision and then had the explant and then afterwards, just like a different person, to be perfectly frank. It was a little less, and I love her, so she knows I'm going to um, say this with all the love in the world. She's a little less on it, like it, more like almost ADD prior to. And the mood, it was like, there were times where I was like, is she capable of being truly happy? Because she sort of had this limit, this fog that was always coloring even the best moments of life. And then she had the explant and it was, it was kind of fun to watch because she was having this epiphany of, oh my God, I'm happy. Yeah. Oh, I, I see the world at this like brighter outlook and it wasn't, you know, any sort of um, placebo because she didn't know that that was necessarily going to be an outcome. Um, but it was, it was shocking to see this like motivation come back, this low mood lift and this whole perspective shift. And, you know, I'm not in her house and in her bed with her, but I think her husband would completely agree. And, you know, from two people who love her, it was like to see this shift, it was like, she just shook off this cloak. Um, and it was pretty amazing to be perfectly honest, because she was doing all the other things. I was doing it all. Prior to. Now, here's a question for you. <clears throat> I'm not sure if you can answer it or not, but can you do all the things? Okay. Let me backtrack a little bit. Can you do all these things? Because listen, I, I'm i a big believer in biohacking. I do all the things. And in one presentation, it was so interesting because we were talk they were talking about nitric oxide. And, and this physician who was speaking was saying, here are the individuals who do all the right things good diet, sleep, all of the things. And here's their nitric oxide um, production at midlife. And then here is somebody who does none of the right things in terms of diet. And here's theirs. But then they take and supplement with nitric oxide. And so let me get to this. Let's say you do all the right things. You eat well, you sleep well. You do all the things that, you know, take all the supplements that are really targeted, but you have breast implants. Huh. Okay. Can you, what's the word? Uh, counter. Overcome it. Yeah. Overcome it. Can you do detoxification? Can you do all the things to make it okay? Well, I mean, yeah, go ahead, Chris. You give your opinion. I will only because I yeah, I have no dog in this hunt. I, I do not have breast implants. I considered them because I was likely going to get a prophylactic mastectomy because I have my mom had triple breast cancer in her 40s and I've had seven biopsies and high risk and all those things. And I said to my husband, if these are going to put me at risk of my kids' futures, they're out and I'm done. And, you know, he was like, woo, woo, get some bigger ones. And I was like, um, but anyway, we, we were able to not have to go down that road, but I will say when we actually added, do you have breast implants to our intake form for our clients? Really? And yes. we did that because we get really savvy women who work with us and we get the whole spectrum. But when we get someone who is like you, they're on it. They know all the biohacking. They got the, you know, hormesis going with the cold immersion and they got the red light therapy. Yeah. Working out and got the trainer and doing all the things. 
And yet they come to us and they're like, something's off. Mm -hmm. And we can educate them on HRT and we can help them tweak their diet and we can maybe encourage them to get a little better sleep and all of these things. Never quite. They never quite achieve what should be the outcome from all of these interventions and amazing biohacking sort of things that they're doing. And many of them will say, I don't know what to do. And Maria will gently, lovingly say, you know, this may be now the time to consider that your implants are having a negative effect on you. And I would say we've had more women choose to explant than not. Oh, wow. Every single one of them will say, yeah, this changed my life. And they went in, some of them went into it kicking and screaming up to the moment they went into under, under anesthesia, almost like they were come to us and be like, I did this because, you know, you guys convinced me of it and it didn't work kind of thing. And they will all come back and go, oh my Lord, I didn't even know that I was struggling with ABC. I didn't even know that this was impacting these things. So I will just say, there's no studies again on this, but from a clinical perspective, we see it so often to be the case that they, that it, it's impossible to out biohack breast implants. Okay. I, I agree. That doesn't mean that you can't get some gains. And, you know, I worked on my health and I, again, I felt good and I felt great on some days and I felt poopy on other days. But my point is you can certainly still work on your health. You, and you, you know, you're, you deserve the best even with implants and, but you may not achieve the best. Like you probably won't achieve the best. I, I, I'm going to say that makes actually a lot of sense. It's almost like, you know, you go, I'm maybe this is more extreme, but one step forward, two steps back. Like I feel for me, I'm always running uphill because I don't have the master gland. Sure. Okay. Sure. So, yeah. but I can't do anything about that. I can't You're replace it. You're always going to operate it. with one arm tied behind your back, right? Exactly. Always. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And still in all the things. You know, I'm still working on my own limiting beliefs because I believe that there's limiting beliefs and there's that whole side of it that's the you know, the psycho-spiritual side of it that's attached to it. But it kind of makes sense in that, you know, when you do have that, you're maybe just simply not optimizing what you could be. Yes. Oh, yes. And, you know, there's, again, I'm going to just say it. I know that there are going to be people that do not like hearing it. Nobody needs breast implants. Like women, people need to get knee replacements people need to get they need to walk uh people need to get joint replacements people need to get pacemakers um you know need thyroid replacement if they have gotten these like you what you are dealing with is like a real physiological issue but when you've got a woman who's got breast implants and like she has the choice to take them out and i've even pushed back some people will be like I just don't have the money to take it out right now. And I'm like, we'll start saving or investigate like care credit or something like that. Okay. So let's shift gears just a little bit, because I think this is an important part of the conversation, mammograms and breast implants. So, you know, I've had breast thermography done. I've had mammograms done. I've had, I, I still have 
a benign fibroadenoma in one of my breasts. It was a, it, it developed around the same time that I had thyroid cancer. And I believe estrogen was a big part of that. But anyway, that's another conversation, right? Um, but what are your thoughts or research on mammograms with implants? Yeah, so we talked about this beforehand because we do know this is controversial. Um, you know, I'm, I have to get a mammogram every year and then every six months after that, I have a breast MRI. So and we're talking okay. like full gold standard, whatever. And I do that, I have to do that because of my risk level and because of my genetics and, and uh, personal history with my mom. So, um, you know, I would say that you have to decide what it is that you're out, what outcome you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to achieve uh, diagnostic imaging related to breast cancer, mammogram is the, the gold standard. That That's what they, they say. It. The thermography doesn't even claim to be able to diagnose breast cancer. And I think that's one thing. I mean, we get it. There are many women out there who don't want the radiation or they don't want the experience um, and they go for thermography. And that's not, you know, that's not a bad decision. You just have to know what it is you're choosing. And what you're choosing is simply an alternative imaging to look at maybe some tissue changes within the breast. It cannot and will not diagnose breast cancer. You need mammography to do that. Now, if you have breast implants and you want mammography, it's kind of like you wouldn't go to, let's say, um, you know, a, a dentist who doesn't do orthodontics for braces, right? So you don't want to go to a mammography place that doesn't have experience with breast implants because there are legitimate risks. Again, like some of the cancer stuff, they're rare, but can a poorly done mammography uh, create a burst breast implant? Yes, it can. Okay. Um, can it create inflammation because of the pain, because of the imaging? Yes, it can. Also, standard mammography isn't sufficient with someone with those breast implants. They usually need four additional images that uh, look at different angles than the standard mammography. So if you want to monitor for breast cancer and you have breast implants, choose your mammography wisely, your, your mammogram center wisely. Um, if you want to just kind of as an adjunct, look for a different sort of imaging to monitor changes in breast tissue, which are also relevant, go with thermography. For many women, they need insurance. Mammography is the only one covered by insurance, yes. right? So Same here. Breath, that's a huge thing. You know, if you're cash paying and you want additional eyes on something, go with thermography, but don't skip your mammography to the extent that, you know, you're supposed to be on a schedule or anything like that. And if you have breast implants, know that, you know, there are certain parts of the implant can turn up white and microcalcifications often turn up white. And so there might be further investigation that is needed, which is problematic for some women or concerning. Um, also you might get shadowing to make something, um, not show gray tissue, which can be early cancer. So, you know, there's also going to be complications with just having breast implants and getting breast imaging of any kind. Okay. Does that make sense? You know, that you're, yeah. you are definitely sort of, um, lowering the opportunity diagnostically. Yep. That totally makes sense yeah. because, so let's just recap thermography not diagnostic but great to see if there's any changes or patterns in breast tissue 
and it's also really non-invasive and right. and but mammogram is really the only way you can diagnose if there's something actually there so right with yeah. the downside being there could be false positives, you know, and, and people like me, I mean, like I said, I've had seven biopsies. They're not fun. Oh, they're not awful. Bad. The core ones? The yes. Co- yeah, they're awful. Yeah. I mean, my breasts look like golf balls, right? Yeah. Because they've been punctured so often. Yeah. And then, you know, then for me, a breast MRI, if you've not had one, it's not a happy experience. You know, you're face down, you have the gadolinium injection, um, you're kind of in this like odd body armor where your breasts are hanging down below, um, gendolinium can make you feel like you've wet your pants as well as suddenly fill your mouth with this metallic taste and your face down. So there's this moment when you're in the machine where you have almost a panic attack, you're pretty sure you're going to vomit or wet yourself. And, you know, this is all in the quest of, you know, making sure that you find this breast cancer that may or may not be there. So I totally understand why women push back. It's never a fun experience, but especially if you have dense breast tissue, you know, it's something you better be really knowledgeable about what you're choosing and what the outcome is that it can deliver to you versus not deliver. Okay. That's, that's good. And, and the other thing too, I always have to put this in. If you work with a functional nutritionist, I, cause I'm talking to you too, and you two know so much about this. There are nutraceuticals that are really good for breast health, but don't just go and grab a bottle of iodine Right. Off the off the shelf and think, OK, this is all I need to do. You need to know what risks are, too, and how much to take and all that kind of stuff, because iodine is a beautiful um, nutraceutical that you can take if you don't get enough of it in your diet. That's great for breast tissue. I take it because it's also great for a thyroid, but I don't have a thyroid. So if for yeah. me, I take it because of breast tissue. So, OK, thank you for that. Um, Can I just say one quick thing? Yeah. Something up when you were talking about root cause. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, whether it's hair loss, whether it's, you know, thyroid issues, whether it's breast issues, whether it's gut issues, you know, all of this cascade of, you know, immune response and walling off and, you know, DNA changing and quinone production, everything else, it starts because of inflammation. So you just said, you know, working with a functional medicine person, there's a you know really low hanging fruit to enable you to follow a diet and lifestyle protocol that reduces inflammation. Like at the end of the day, if that's all you want to do is protect against the risk of autoimmune, protect against these changes, skin anything, just you know avoid infl- inflammatory triggers. Okay, you guys are going to laugh at this. I actually just did blood work yesterday, yeah. and um, my CRP so CRP was flagged. And I'm like, oh, crap, why is it flagged? Oh, it's super low. I'm like, okay, well, that's not a problem. Yeah, so it was flagged low because I think it's here. You know, I don't know about the measurements and the conversion between U.S. and Canada, but I think it's five and up is uh, high, and I was at like a one, and so the lab flagged it as low. So I'm like, okay. I'm okay with that flag, right? But knowing what's going on, and and I think this is good to say, go get your blood work done every year. Yeah. Just get your general blood work done that has, you know, okay, you know, we can talk about lipid panels, but because that's so annoying. (laughs) It's very annoying. But, you know, for me, I got my lipid, I, I have typically higher cholesterol. 
And, you know, then there's that whole factor of women who, you know, I've only had three periods this year and we're now end of October. So I'm, I'm starting to shut down. So I know that typically this happens with women in and around this time. You know, your, your cholesterol could go up to compensate because it's like, Hey, where's all the other hormones? They're not making them anymore. Your body's well, not making thyroid, them. Thyroid impacts your lipids as well. It does. It so. does. So I'm not worried about it. But then I did see my triglycerides go up a tad. And so that's what I'm more concerned about, right? Sure. Yeah. So get your blood work done, people. And know that standard reference ranges are based on an unhealthy population. Yes. Which is why Sandy got flagged because. That's an anomaly, yes. right? Being uninflamed is an anomaly. Oh right? my God, she has no inflammation. We got to flag this. Right, but we can't <laughs> normalize inflammation. And that's something that I think happens all too often. And going back to the breast implants, like at the end of the day, you know, Maria loves to say when we're low in sex hormones, default state of inflammation, you know, thyroid malfunction, default state of inflammation, gut microbiota issues, default state of inflammation, breast implants. Yes. Default state of inflammation. Like it's, you know, so if anything, knowing how inflammation triggers cascades throughout the body, why would you choose your laser uh, causes acute temporary inflammation? Yes. Right? Not systemic and not chronic. And that's the thing I think that people need to just get really honest with themselves about is if you're going to put a foreign object in your body like that, you're going to have systemic chronic inflammation until they're taken out. Yep. So let's get into explant, explants. Yeah. What? Because listen, I can't relate, <laughs> but if something <laughs> happened, right? Like if something happened that I had breast cancer and I had to have my breasts removed and then being left with something very different than what I looked like for many years, there's a lot tied to that. Absolutely. So, Maria, you have a lot of experience in this. So, you know, let's talk about what the risks are. What about the skin, like the stretching of the skin? And what do you do? Well, so, you know, I, I don't have experience with having to have, have had made the decision to put in implants because of, of uh, mastectomy and reconstruction. I do have the experience of having had implants in and having had taken, taken them out. So, uh Skin really wasn't too much of a problem. I mean, my implants were, were moderate size, small to moderate. Uh, so that, you know, that was taking them out was, um, you know, it wasn't that much of a visual shocking change. It was. I, and I'll be honest, I struggled, you know, for the, a few months on, oh, I don't really love the way I look anymore. But almost every time I thought that, I thought to myself, I'm healthier, though. So yeah. stop thinking about that. And you know what I will say for women that are considering X-Men, like I just said, I didn't like the way I looked for a few months afterwards, kind of worked itself out. And now I kind of like the way I look and, you know, they're smaller and not as high and lifted up and perky, but, um, they're healthy and they're mine. Yeah. And I just, I kind of like just really appreciate the way they look now, even though, you know, it doesn't look perfect. And one is slightly bigger than the other. Um, probably not. I even asked the surgeon about that and he's like, well, you know, just wasn't hundred percent sure, but, um, I blame my kids. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, I think again, we just 
like take away the how you look as the primary focus. I understand we want to look good and focus. I, I, that's what I was able to do. And I was able to focus on, but I'm healthier and I'm happier. So they don't look like these two perfect breasts, which I personally now find that implants just look terrible. But that's, that's because I've, that's my new thought or opinion about it. It's like, it looks so fake and it looks so perfect. And that's just not what I like anymore. It's like, just, I like the way real breasts look, even if they look imperfect. So, so when they do that, do they, do they give you a lift at the same time when they, well, so I did. So I did ask about my surgeon about that. He said, you're just really not, you don't qualify for it uh, because I just, I didn't have, you know, I obviously I got breast implants because I was unhappy with the way it looked and I right. kind of believed, believed like this false standard of beauty and I needed to measure up. And, um, and so when, when he took them out, uh, he just, I just didn't have much to lift. So, but, but that is certainly an option quite a, you know, several of our clients get lifts. Um, yeah. That's what yeah. I'm wondering because I think even if you don't have large breasts, many of us, have breasts that are lower naturally because yeah, sure. we breastfed or genetics or whatever. I will say this. I feel like, and it's really hard to remember. Sometimes I look at myself before I get in the shower and I'm like, I, I think I'm a little bit fuller now than I was when I had the implants, but I'm like, I think I actually have more boobs now than I did. And, you know, some people would say, well, you gained weight. And yeah. I'm not, not nearly as thin as I was, you know, 25 years ago. Um, so maybe it's a little bit of that, but also I'm on a very well formulated hormone replacement regimen. And that brings back some fullness to the breasts. I think Kristen can attest to that a lot more than I can. And I'm a little jealous about that, Kristen Johnson. So you can now <laughs> take it away. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. But, but one more thing before we go to that, you can actually even get fat transfers. Yes. So you can, yeah. So, so you can get a fat transfer. So, and I definitely like had considered that, but so that is not without risk. So you can, you, you know, it is a surgery. Um, I don't believe, don't quote me on this. I don't believe you can do it at the same time. You usually you have to gain some weight. And yeah. You have, and you have to have some. Food. Yeah. I have no problem with that. Like if I ever had to do that, I'm like, okay, we'll go with the inner thighs first. And then. Yeah. And also fat transfer, like it does not give you the volume that you would get with an implant. So you have to kind of be happier with a smaller, you know, look, you're not going to get super volume. Okay. But it's still an option. And it's an option. Absolutely. But you can lose anywhere from 20 to 50% of the fat. It doesn't like it needs to develop. Um, I don't believe it needs to develop like a, uh, I believe a blood supply or there, it needs to be fed somehow. And it doesn't always, it just doesn't always take. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but, you know, it's an option. Okay. And like midlife women, like you said, we fed our babies, some of us, and then we hit our forties and fifties and things just pointed South and a little bit flat and a little bit, whatever. And I personally went from, I was normally kind of a B. With my kids, it was a double D. Um, and when I hit my 40s and lower, I was a double A. And that definitely hit me because I was like, I have nothing. 
Like yeah. I literally lie on my back and there's nothing. Yeah. And you know, my husband, bless his heart was totally fine. But, um, once I started HRT, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm having to buy new bras again. And as we all know, bras are not cheap. And I'm like, and now I need a second new set of bras. Like it just was kind of this progression. And I called my doctor. I was like, what is going on? The way he explained it is you have to understand the curvature and the fullness of a female breast is dictated by her estrogen. So as we are going into midlife and that estrogen is in decline, and let's be honest, it's erratic to start. So women can have like bigger breasts all of a sudden, and then they go normal and whatever. Yeah. But eventually we lose it. And eventually we can see this sort of deflation. It doesn't happen to every woman, but it can, it, it changes the direction, you know, and how they sit on our chest wall. Um, and a great HRT program brings back this sort of youthful vitality to the female breast. And I'm back to being a B cup. Um, and my husband jokes, he's like, HRT was the most inexpensive boob job I've ever paid for. <laughs> so. so that's, that's actually a great thing to talk about. Cause you know, what are your options? You go, you decide you want to have an explant. You're yeah. like, what's going on? And I know, like, I personally, I'm not ready for um, any kind of estrogen. Although I am trying estrogen, not estrogen. I'm trying estriol. Estriol on your face? Just around my eye. Just mm -hmm. a little. Um, I don't know what you think about that. But uh, I'm seeing that it really helps with the fullness and um, the dryness around my eyes. I don't know about estradiol. I've seen people use estradiol around the eyes. I don't know. I think estriol is a little safer in my research, but that's a really good point. Working with a physician who can prescribe hormones that are catered to you and your needs is a great option because you will see some benefit in your skin, in your breasts, in all of that, right? Your mood and your lipid handling and yeah. your cardiovascular health and your bone health. Yeah, the list is long. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, you ladies probably are big fans of the Dutch test, I would assume. Do you do We're that? Fans. We're fans, but not necessarily for what everyone thinks of yeah. it as in the context of midlife. It's not going to tell you what your hormone levels are. It's going to tell you what your hormone handling is. And it's going to give you a really good look on your adrenals, which is relevant to midlife as well. Um, but it's not something that you would use to make the decision. Do I need to go on HRT or how do I dose my HRT? That sort of thing. Blood serum is always going to be the gold standard for that. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's different than what I've, I've learned, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, so anything else that we didn't talk about that we missed? Well, so I believe it was starting in, um, November of twenty. 21, the FDA requires like a patient kind of checklist to be in, to be used by plastic surgeons with women who want to get breast implants and a patient like safety checklist. And I think it's supposed to kind of detail like what the potential problems could be. And um, I believe also somewhat new, I don't know the date, you know, the breast implants, which come in a box are supposed to have like a black box warning. Um, the only thing is, you know, 
women who get breast implants, they, they never see the box. They're basically under twilight anesthesia or some type of anesthesia at that point. So they're not going to see the box and the black box warning. And the surgeon, I, I would say most surgeons probably would discuss, you know, uh, the risks, yeah, the risks of implants. But I think for the most part, when women are going to that surgeon and they're at that point, they're just like, uh, okay, all right, yeah, I'll sign it, whatever. And they're not really, really thinking about what the risks are. And they're, they're not like hearing, well, these, I highly doubt that they're uh, one of the risks is like, you know, immune stimulation. You're going to get sort of like the risks for all surgeries, risk of infection. Yes. There, there's also, I believe they probably do list like risk of capsular contracture. And that is when that, you know, that walling off, that scar tissue becomes like really hardened. How um, can so. you check for that? Would a, like what I would show you that? It. You literally feel it. Yeah, the, I remember that. Oh. Uh, that yeah, like you, your breasts will feel hard. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you can feel it. You, I would think that an ultrasound could show that too, right? I, I don't know, but that that's that's one of the kind of risks that I'm guessing that plastic surgeons will uh, discuss because I, I do remember, you know, my plastic surgeon again. This is. 23 years ago now saying um that the capsule contracture is is a definite risk yeah okay good to know good to know anything else that i might have missed so so with breast implants and you know i was not told this um they're not forever devices so no that i know that i know well i did not know that well i was i was i distinctly remember asking this you know again 23 years ago they can stay in forever or whatever. Uh, and, you know, they need to be removed or replaced. So. Yeah. Isn't it like every 10 to 12 years or something? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but, but that, Sandy, that doesn't happen. Cause sometimes what happens is you have the money to put them in. And then I've heard from many women who say, I, I just don't have the money to explant. I'd love to explant. I don't have the money. And to them, I would say, start saving or look into pro- programs like care credit where you can finance it. Yeah. Or they say they're fine. I have no problems with them. Right. So there, right? so I will tell you, I was scheduled for my surgery. It was at around this kind of height of COVID. So it had to be put off like another six months or so. And I was probably in denial. Like, do I really have to do this up until about three to three to maybe five months prior to my surgery? I was like, oh, all right, I'm going to do it, but I don't really have to, but whatever. And, and I, I fought it for a few years prior. I had really thinking about it. So, and I would just say, um, you know, if you're a midlife woman and you really want to go into midlife or you're on the doorstep of midlife, maybe you're early mid forties, you're on that doorstep and you really want to be as healthy as possible. And you have breast implants, you should really think about what is your exit plan. And it occurred to me one day, like women think about getting them in. Nobody thinks of an exit plan. It wasn't Mm. until I started to get like a little bit of diffuse, uh, pain, uh, that I was started to think about removing them. And then it was like, oh my gosh, pain. Plus I, I personally felt like a fraud having them in and like being a, you know, a, a health practitioner. And then that started my journey. And even through that, I still was in denial. So Maria, um, am I a fraud because I do a little Botox and I'm a health practitioner? <laughs> no, am I? Am I? No, that's you know what? Listen, I can move everything, so I'm still good. I'm not doing too much. <laughs> but yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's an individual journey. And for me, for me, 
I just did not feel right. And it just sure. started to hang on my, sh my shoulders. I, you know, it's interesting because even now as I'm aging, I feel like I am, and it's not, you know, you hear some women, although listen, there's sometimes you go, oh my God, like, what are they thinking? Like Madonna, right? And like, <laughs> you know, but I'm pretty much like, I don't judge, you know, everybody has the choice to age the way that they want to age. And yes. my role is to educate, right? Yes. Like if I read some giant study that lasers could do something systemically and hurt me, then I'd be like, okay, I'm out. I'm not doing yeah. it anymore. Yeah. Right. Because I don't, I want to keep feeling good. Right. It's yep. not looking good is great, but feeling good is better. Right. Better. Yep. Uh -huh. So anything else that you'd like to um, close off? We're just over an hour. I would love for you to tell everyone where to find you and work with you and absorb all this knowledge that you guys have. I want to leave people with one thing because I do get this question a lot. And that is, well, how do I find a surgeon? Um, you know, I found it through, I, I went into like Facebook groups function and I put breast implant illness. You can use those that use that terminology for searching explant group, something like that. And then I came up with like a New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, a group dedicated to talking about breast explant. And I, th there was like two or three names that kept coming up. This doctor, this doctor, this doctor, I called doctor i interviewed him and you know i, I went through with it that's so, great anyway, and then there's a breast implant illness healing by nicole group that might be a website not a facebook group so you know just use the power of the internet and okay. then you interview the doctor that's great advice thank you sure and where can we find you ladies Kristen? do you want to give your handle and all that information Sure. Um, we are very active on Instagram. Um, we try and be very education forward. So we find a lot of women will kind of drop in and be like asking questions in DMs and Maria will reply with, please scroll through our feed because we do truly try and provide substantive information there that can help women. Um, that is at wise and well. Um, if you put that in, you'll see a little picture of the two of us. Um, so you'll know that's who we are. And then we have a really active community in a alternative platform called Mighty Networks. Mm -hmm. um, you can find that in our um, bio link in Instagram. We kind of have everything there. But in there, we just try into deeper dives. Um, so we share with women, you know, product information that we really like, um, but really try and give more meaty um, discussion in there, research papers. We just recently wrote one on colostrum and gut health. We've got a whole series on lipids. Um, we've got things in there on thyroid classes, all sorts of things to sort of just help women find some information and have a good discussion. So that's great. Well, thank you ladies for all your knowledge and all of your education. I love what you're doing. Thank you thank for having us. Thank great. you for doing this. Yeah, yeah. Great talk. Great talk. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to share it with someone you know might benefit. And always remember, when you rate, review, subscribe, you help to support my content and help me to keep going and bringing these conversations to you each and every week. Join me next week for a new topic, new guest, 
new exciting conversations to help you live your best life.